The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab number 115 for August 13th, 2007. Ah! Greetings, folks. It's Monday the 13th. John, we can't do a show on Monday the 13th. That's crazy. I was going to say. Yeah. It's like the the opposite of Friday the 13th. It's kind of the opposite. So I'm Dave Hamilton. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm here, of course, with John Braun. And as we do every week, we've come uh, to let you share in our little chat that we have about all things Mac and beyond. This week, we're uh, talking about topics that you've all brought up. Uh, video capture ideas, iDisk thoughts, wireless security, some widget ideas, and, of course, we'll... Uh, We'll share a thought or two on Apple's big announcement ceremony from last week, too. So, Feedback at MacGeekGab.com is how you get in touch with us. Or call 206-666-GEEK, which is John? 4335. That's right. Excellent. <laughs> uh, yeah. So uh, we will start. So, uh, yeah, go oh, ahead. we got to say hi to Duffy. Duffy's back. Our friend Duffy. Our friend Duffy. He told me, yeah, he came back. We did some Mac geeking out. A uh, friend of ours who used to live here and then went over to Taiwan, I think, to teach for a few years. And then yeah. uh, he's back. And, uh, yeah, so we were geeking out, and uh, he actually said he listened to us while he was, I think, ironing the laundry, which I, I think is high praise indeed. Hey, that's great. That's, uh... <laughs> and also, do you ever watch, and then we'll get back, did you ever watch Firefly? No. Okay, you've heard of it. You know, Josh, uh... Whedon, Buffy, you know, that, 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 that guy. Yeah, but anyways, okay. in several places they, they they say things in Chinese, and I have no idea what they're saying. And I wanted to know, and he's been there long enough that he can pick it up. Oh, of course, like Mandarin. Yeah. Sure. And I'm like, cool. So, anyways, hi Duffy. Um, yeah, that's great. Uh, do you mind if we start the show now, or? Uh... No, I think I'm done for now. Can, any, can anybody else say hi to? <laughs> no, um, hi, hi Duffy. I, I look forward to seeing you as well. Uh, so we will start with uh, with Brian's question. Now, this is one the first of three Brian's that have written in this evening. Uh, so well, actually two have written in one called in. So Brian, number one, writes, uh, John and Dave, I was wondering if you have suggestions for making VH- VHS tapes go the way of vinyl as described in episode 96. That is to say, how would you advise we digitize VHS tapes? tapes for ease of access and preservation against deterioration what hardware software and techniques would you recommend okay so uh, the idea is that we want to take the content on uh, vhs tapes and somehow get it onto our macs presumably to burn burn to dvd in fact i'm just going to assume that the goal here is to get the tapes to get the data from vhs which is a format that will degrade over time in quality uh, to DVD, which is a format that will retain its quality until the point at which it degrades to nothing. So it's all or Longer. nothing. <laughs> yes. Now, it, assuming your VCR has not eaten your VHS, we're going to we're going to assume that. That's right. Uh, so now, what's this vinyl thing though? You know those you know those black but, circular things, John? Um, that are like big CDs. Yeah. They, so some like, of the younger listeners may not have ever seen. Or used one. I'm, I'm just. Uh, no, you're right. Okay, so anyway. we have we have three ways of doing this. One is to use your Mac and get a video capture device. Now, your Mac 
by default, uh, any current Macs that is, can't just take a an analog video signal in. So you've got to get a video, oh. video capture device. It, I found a couple. Uh, basically what they do is they allow you to plug either coax or um, composite video into them, and then they convert that to a USB or Firewire signal that your Mac can then slurp in and you could suck into, say, iMovie or even d directly into iDVD, right? And the, the couple that I found was the ADS Pyro AV link, which is about 125 bucks, and we'll put a link to that in the show notes, and uh, Elgato's ITV Hybrid, uh, which will take, uh, I believe that's the one that takes a um, uh, coax signal in, but either one of them, you know, will we'll get the job done and, and actually even do the sound in stereo if the if the tape was recorded that way. Now you said you you found one too, is that right, John? Yeah, so so one thing is that I think um, there's a couple of other inputs that you probably could get. You mentioned a couple, but I think uh, there, there's also component video, which I, I think the better the quality signal, that maybe there's a limitation when you're coming out of a, a VCR. I mean, yeah. They really had some super VHS, uh, which were higher density VHS, uh, but you know, and I think S-video is another option. So, yep. you know, the the better the connection, you know, get as good as you can because the DVD is definitely going to exceed the uh, the VCR. And then I found a company, Canopus, I think is how you pronounce it, but they okay. were actually, you know, I did a search for, uh, you know, VCR, Firewire, uh, Mac conversion, and, and actually the Apple Store lists a couple of their products. It looked like they had about 10 different products ranging anywhere from, and I think they were pretty much in the price range you mentioned, anywhere from like a simple, tiny little desktop unit to like a big console Type yeah. Of deal. So, sure. Uh, so yeah, it's terrible because I remember you and I finally remember that they had AV series Macs that did for a while have, uh, I believe, video input, but that that time has that time passed, has passed. Or... That's right. Yeah. So so that's one way of doing it, and yeah, I think I think uh, certainly S video will. I I believe that the true quality of of a videotape, I believe it maxes out right around the S video yeah. range. I I don't think component would would make a difference be above that but certainly component is going to give you whatever the full value of the of the videotape is uh, if if your vcr even supports that and we'll talk a little bit about that in a minute uh because there's a, th a third option that we will get to but the second option would be uh, sort of along the same lines but if you have a firewire dv camera uh, chances are the camera will also take an input from a composite video signal and you can use that as a pass-through, and I've, I've done this before. So you, you take your VCR, you output it to your video camera, and then firewire your video camera to your Mac, and let the camera just, you don't even need to put a tape in the camera, just let the camera act as the converter. Mm -hmm. I only mention this, it certainly is more expensive than going and buying uh, just a standalone video capture device or a, a, a non-camera integrated video capture device. But if you already have the camera, then this is a, a great solution because you don't have to buy anything. You're done. So uh, mm -hmm. that's that's that. And then and then the third thing, um, years ago, I remember when I was doing some reviews for Digital World, which was a PC World publication, uh, I reviewed a, a JVC unit, the DRMX1S, which was an all-in-one. It has a DVD player and burner, a VHS player and recorder, and then it's also got a hard drive in it. And the, the VHS circuitry in that thing had some, it had some, some enhancements to it. So it was actually up converting your VHS on the fly while it played it. And it would output it in component and actually looked really good. 
the idea with that with a unit like that is you don't even need a computer you can copy right from the vhs to the dvd again assuming that there's no copy protection and we talked about that a uh, number of episodes uh, ago about macro vision yeah right. so uh but that that certainly works now that particular unit i think is still on sale and it's about 500 bucks but uh, when we were talking before the the show john you mentioned uh, that You've seen it, you know, Walmart or Costco or BJ's. Oh, man, yeah. When I picked up my, you know, I got a fairly nice Sony DVD player when I got the big screen TV because uh, the PlayStation didn't do uh, progressive. But, yeah, I saw a couple and, you know, BJ's, uh, Walmart, uh, you know, Costco all have a couple. I guess the things to look for, you know, can it burn to the type of media that you want? Um, does it do the up conversion? I've, I've seen mixed reviews on whether that's good or bad. I think the higher quality units, they do it properly, but it, it may actually... Yeah. I read where, where some didn't do a very good job of it. But, yeah, an all-in-one unit, I mean, that's, uh, you know, that's pretty handy. Yeah, you know, if you've got a lot of tapes to do, frankly, mm -hmm. that's the easiest solution. Because, it, you know, doing it via your Mac, even if you're using iDVDs, instant mm -hmm. DVD mode or whatever they call it, um, it, it still it takes up time. And, you know, with, with this JVC unit, even though the interface was, was pretty darn terrible on it, once mm -hmm. you figured it out, it was like four button pushes and bam, you were copying from, from videotape to DVD. And most of these things will let you put, you know, multiple tapes on one DVD and then you finalize the DVD and it, it uh, you know, life was grand. Mm -hmm. So if you've got a lot of them to do, I, I highly recommend going that route. Again, it's not yep. cheap, but hey, you know. And of course, the mini rant of macrovision or other things is that, you know, you should be able, I think, be able to convert your media between formats without loss of quality and not have to pay money again. Yeah, well, uh, uh, yeah, that's me. If it and was you. not commercially recorded, if it was just home movies, then I think you're fine either way. But I, I agree with you. Yeah, yeah. as as everyone knows. Uh, all right, moving on to Thomas here. Thomas writes, I was wondering if you could help. Ever since I updated to Mac OS 10, 10.4.10, all of my files stored in my two folders titled desktop and folders have been deleted after booting up my MacBook. It was about 100 documents and download, downloaded uh, disk images, and all of them are very important. Also, some of my custom seti settings, such as a background and screensaver, have been restored to the default picture. Sincerely, Thomas. <sighs> my first thought is file corruption is going on. I mean, it, it, this just isn't normal behavior. Um, you got, what are your thoughts, John? <laughs> if things are disappearing, either... Someone is playing a very clever prank on you. Well, there's that. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> or you have a multi-user system, and maybe something funny is happening there. And then another user. Yeah, but I, I would guess, like most people, well, I assume most people do single user, and they log in as admin. But yeah, I mean, if that's happening, I mean, run disutility or, or something, because it sounds like something, you know, the part of the hard drive that keeps track of where, where everything is. Uh, the directory yeah. and, you know, the, the extent trees and all that stuff. It sounds like they're starting to get corrupted. Uh, yeah. And I'm it, surprised because normally I think you, you have an option of doing a scan of your disk before you install the OS. You do? Or do you? No, no I, don't I don't think do. so. No, not it just anymore. I'm sorry, it scans the source media. Yeah. Well, which, that's a, uh, that's the install, not the, the I think, I'm guessing he's just talking about updating from 10.4.9 to 10.4.10. Oh, okay. So, Probably through software update. Yeah. Huh. I, you know, yeah, I, I check your. Uh, I would check, check your disk. Check login items too. It, you know, it, it's it's strange that file corruption would cause such a repeatable, uh, 
event where it's it's constantly deleting the contents of these folders it it almost sounds like a script is running uh wiping these things out so check your login items and your account system preference pane to see if there's anything there that might be scripting those but otherwise yeah run that or oh. you know my my favorite utility as far as repairing disk goes if i've got a disk that's acting funky i don't mess with anything else i go straight to disk warrior i run that on it and and let that do its thing and most my experience has taught me that uh if the problem's bad enough i'm going to get to disk warrior anyway so i might as well just start there and, and save myself some time so that's there's my there's my disk warrior plug and no they don't uh, they don't pay me to say that <laughs> if they did i'd say the same thing so it doesn't matter now you know there are utilities uh, i can't remember off the top of my head maybe you do but there are utilities that will now that's more emptying the trash yeah yeah, yeah around I, it. there are things that empty the trash on a regular basis i and i believe there may be things that that expire certain type of files after after a while yeah i've seen them and they make me nervous because uh, but yeah i mean other than emptying the trash i'll 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 poke around i know there's something i don't know if it's like i trash or all right <laughs> you know that that reminds me folks if you're listening to the show and uh and one particular topic interests you Go ahead and take a look at the show notes. When John goes back through, you know, we publish the show pretty much immediately after we after we record it. And there's some stuff in the show notes, but they're not complete, as you, you may have seen. What happens is uh, a couple of days later, John goes through, listens to the show, and and populates the show notes with all the things we've talked about, plus a lot of extra things, too. Bonus uh, content. Yeah. You. So, yeah, bonus content. There you go. So uh, just make sure that, you know, if there's something interesting that you're, you're hearing us talking about, go ahead and, and check the show notes. It's usually, it usually takes John a couple of days and then, and then everything's up. So, uh, of course, the notes for uh, the, the items that we do discuss during the show are the links are created on the fly for you by Michael Johnston. So that's the uh, that's that I will. Uh, let's see where we're moving right along here. Our, uh, our sponsor for this show is Barebone Software with BBEdit. Now, BBEdit 8.7 was just released, and uh, it has a couple of interesting features. Uh, all, of course, made for you to make editing text the easiest and richest experience that you possibly can have. Uh, some of the new features in 8.7 are that uh, text factories and multi-file search operations now can take advantage of smart folders as sources of files to search. So... You've got uh, you've got that one additional layer of automation happening there, where the same search that you've programmed is automatically pulling from new data, depending on what you've got your smart folder set up for. There is uh, also disk browsers now get uh, contextual menus for the file list. If you right-click on items, you get commands to open, save, copy path, uh, and you can even tell it to go there in the terminal. It'll pop open the terminal for you, and even will pop open. Uh, non-standard third-party terminals if you've got those defined as well. But my favorite feature in BBEdit 8.7 is uh, what internally I think has been dubbed the Dave Hamilton feature because I requested this. And that is if you have a bunch of documents open, all kinds of, you know, maybe six windows each with four or five documents in a drawer and you quit BBEdit, the next time you launch BBEdit, you can tell it to reopen all those same documents only thing that's not preserved is window position. Everything else, bam, right there. It is a lifesaver, a beautiful thing. So that's uh, that's there, there's my my uh, my claim to fame, folks. So that's BB Edit 8.7 from Barebones Software.
And moving along to uh, yet another Brian here. Uh, in talking about the college students, you know, John, we've been talking about college students who are worried about securing their wireless networks in their rooms. and uh, As they should be. Yeah, although it's interesting to point out, we did get a note from, uh, from another college student, not a Brian, that, uh, that told us at, at the college where, where he works, uh, it is not permitted Students are not permitted to put routers in their rooms, perhaps for uh, for these this very reason, uh, because a student could put a wireless router in their room and, and open up the college network to all sorts of uh, security issues because they're not securing it properly. If you're not at a school, and that actually makes sense, if you're not at a school like this, the third type of attack uh, that, that uh, we hadn't talked about is something Brian mentions here, and he says... It, it's an attack against your router in an attempt to steal your internet access, like we mentioned, uh, and uh, basically using software like Kismac, which is an OS X version of Kismet, users that live within the range of your wireless access point can automatically crack the WEP and WPA keys that protect your network from the outside world within a matter of days or weeks. And there's essentially no way to know whether someone is analyzing your packet data until they log into your network. So the rule of thumb is use WPA, which is more secure than WEP, and change your password every once in a while. Uh, that's actually good advice. And and I think this would apply not only to people in dorm rooms, but people that live in apartment buildings or anywhere where you've got a, a high concentration of neighbors that you may or may not know, and, uh, and you nor they are moving anytime soon. So a hotel wouldn't really be an issue uh, if you're bringing a wireless router with you, but, but a, an apartment or a dorm room would because these people could set up a computer to hack at your wireless network and you'd have no idea. Or maybe you would. And that's well, uh, may I? Yeah, please do. <laughs> well, I would say, now, depending on the, the activity on the router or wireless base station, so I would say in the case where it's an active one, and I would imagine one on a college campus probably would be, at least at certain times, you just sit there watching the traffic. And if you see enough... You, you'll get the key eventually for, you know, WEP definitely and WPA. I'm not sure about WPA too. I think that's, that's improved. Yeah. We'll talk about a little tangent shortly. But, um, but the thing that occurs to me is that if the thing's not doing anything, then you're not going to get any traffic to crack, to crack it. Now there are a wireless attacks where if you kind of poke at the router a little bit, trying to encourage it to generate traffic. And this is a part of some attacks. So, so if nobody's talking legitimately, if you try to go to it and kind of, you know, say, hey, 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 <laughs> or yeah. you can say something else. But if you, if you send certain type of request packets to it or certain malformed packets, it'll start spitting things out back at you. And that may give you enough to, to get in there. So, so in that case, uh, you and I were talking about this before, is that they do have, um, and I think they're just starting to develop these, uh, what's known as an IDS or intrusion detection system. Yep. Um, which is a piece of software that will monitor traffic and it has certain filters and certain plug-in modules that will say, hey, you know, that looks kind of funny. What's going on here? And we actually did find, uh, so Snort is a, is a popular uh, piece of software, and they have an OS X version that will monitor traffic. And then I think it, you and I both found uh, a wireless version. I think it was Snort Wireless or, or something. That's right. We'll, uh, we'll link to it. Yeah, so um, Snort lets you see if people are coming into your computer Snort Wireless is actually something you can install on your wireless router as long as your wireless router will take it. Uh, the Linksys routers with the open firmware will, 
Apple's mm-hmm. routers uh, most certainly won't. So uh, but, yeah, and we know. found also like for example, um, if if uh, you know, the, there's probably in a larger enterprise of Cisco, they have IDS features in their wireless access points. So um, so yeah, if you can put it on there. So so I would say either if the person is is generating enough traffic to get the traffic they need to try to crack in and you have an IDS that can detect that or as you pointed out the software you put right on your uh, hopefully open source router and then it can send a little message to you or a commercial one I mean if you want to you know get a nice high-end Cisco yep. wireless access point which has all this great stuff built in I mean you're not going to be paying you know the pittance that you pay for like a Linksys yeah, but, um, but you can do the sure. same thing with a Linksys with uh, with snort wireless and open WRT and you're good to mm-hmm. go right so Yep, but less, it's a, it's a very bucks. good point. Now I had a uh, another the, the, Brian's oh, advice just to just to wrap that up. Brian's advice mm-hmm. to it, change your password on the router regularly is actually ah. really really good advice. Um, you know, if you're changing it even once a month, that's probably enough to uh, to you know ward off any hackers. I mean, if it takes somebody, let's say you're using WPA or WPA two, and uh, even if it takes somebody, let's say two weeks to get in. If you then were to have changed the password a week later, they're probably not going to try and hack it again. And if they do, they won't do it a third time. So, you know, they'll just find somebody else that that's not, you know, as diligent as you. So changing your your wireless passwords on a regular basis, it really is a good idea. I I never thought about it before from this standpoint, but uh, but, you know, it's a good idea. Yeah. And I think there are also protocols like I believe Leap and, and some others. Uh, have this uh, concept of key rotation where every now and then they will you know spit yep. out a new key versus the original one so if somebody's monitoring the traffic it'll the, the key will only be useful for a, a short amount of time and then kind of a low tech trick I thought of is just uh, at least on the on the uh, linksys that I have you can limit the number of DHCP addresses that you hand out oh yeah you can yeah. say okay I only hand out this many so I mean yeah if the person's that well I don't know if you know, someone that necessarily runs that piece of software is necessarily sophisticated, but if they are a bit more sophisticated, they could probably figure out how to knock one of your other machines off of the network and then grab that IP address. But yeah, what, one more another thing you, to do. Yeah, you know, don't have you know too many open. I mean, I keep a couple open for guests and and extra devices, but I you know don't want a hundred people all hopping on my <laughs> right. Well, the the other thing you could do um, is totally disable your DHCP server. Right. Oh. And and then only Go manually static. assign. Yeah, that's right. And and then that way, you know, you're, uh, you know, people would have to, again, it's one more layer. They'd have to figure out, okay, what network range are they using? And and if you're going to bother to do that, don't just use the default network range of, you know, like mm-hmm. 192.168.1.x, you know, change it to uh-huh. 192.168.somethingelse.x and, and take advantage of, you know, the fact that now or. they'd have to guess. Right. Uh-huh. Or I use, uh, well, I'm not going to say what I use, but it's a really obscure one. Is it? Are you in the 192.168 range? No. No. Are you in the 10.1 range? No. Are you, whoa. What, oh, are you in the 172 range? I, I can neither confirm. Or <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the only one that's left. That's the only one left, I know. Yeah. It's <laughs> it's not one that I see often. I usually see 10 or 192, as yeah. you pointed out. So, yeah. Uh, just another thing, but I mean, if, I, I've done this actually when I've gone to places where I had a legitimate need to plug in the network, but I didn't know how to get a static address, is I would put in a packet sniffer and just watch the, usually the R packets going by, and eventually yep. you can figure out the uh, the router and the subnet from that. Yep. 
Absolutely. But another layer, the more, you know, I mean, the attackers are usually, you know, looking for a easy street there. That's right. Yeah, if you're in so, an apartment, chances are there's someone yeah. else with a wireless oh, yeah. router that's going to be easier to crack than you are if you implement even, you know, one of the, the tips that we've mentioned. So, All right, so Brian also posed a question, and he says, I can't count the number of people that want a little app or script that they can stick in the dock, a la dockables, that they can click to shut down their Mac and temporarily boot into Windows, i.e. something that doesn't permanently permanently change the startup disk. Apparently, nobody likes babysitting their Mac in order to hold down the option key during the boot process. Personally, I don't think that there's an easy way to do this because rebooting into Windows requires you to change the startup disk. The catch-22 is that once you've started up in Windows, you can't change the startup disk back to OS X without writing a Windows app. With that said, do you guys have any thoughts about how to do this? Now, the temporarily is the trick because if it's permanently, well, that's pretty easy. UI script the uh, the system, uh, the startup disk control panel and or system preference. And uh, and you're good to go, and you could do you know something similar on the Windows side, I think, and and you'd be fine. But it's on the restart where you'd have to hold down the Option key uh, to come back in. And I, I don't, I mean, I don't think it's possible to do this temporarily, other than holding down the Option key when you want to boot Windows, and then choosing the the Windows partition from there, because changing the startup disk in OS X changes. Um, it, it it changes the the pram right so it, there's no way the system uh, unless hmm. oh here here's something right if you've got a script on the windows side right that will change it back and a, a script on the mac side that will change it you know script on the mac side that changes it to um boot to windows script on the windows side that changes it to boot back to mac mm -hmm. what you do is on on the mac side if you want it to be temporary you Add a little line to the script that goes in via UI scripting, changes the startup disk to Windows, and then writes a file out to the Windows side, right? To say, look, I did this with the script. You need to change it back. And then on the Windows side, you write a little script that uh, maybe a batch file that when it starts up, you you put it in the in the you know startup list or startup program group, and uh, and it senses, it looks to see if this uh, this file is there. If it is, then it triggers the, the script to change it back and then deletes the file. So that's one way you could simulate the uh, temporariness that you were looking for. But I uh, I don't know of anything off offhand that does all that for you. So we'll let that be a, a pseudo geek challenge. The uh, we've spelled out the path. Now now uh, let's let's find a road. So hmm. right thoughts, John? I got nothing. You gotta get an Intel Mac. I'm still waiting. Yeah, well, you know, Steve, you, come on. All you gotta do, you know? Apple.com/store. In fact, if you're gonna do that, do it through uh, do it through TMO. Go to go to MacObserver.com and and in the sidebar, click on Support TMO, and, and we uh, we it's a nice way to help support the site. So yeah, yeah, hmm. yeah. maybe I'll do that. Yeah, there you go. And uh, speaking of other ways to support, this one actually supports the podcast directly. If you want to get Vonage uh, service, the voice over IP phone service, let us know. We can send you a referral. You get uh, you get a little something out of it. You get an extra free month of service, and and we actually get a little kickback from them, and uh, and it all helps. So it's uh, it's all good. But you know, supporting our sponsors, subscribing to the show, all of it, all of it helps, and we really do appreciate it. So. We like what we do here. So about these new Macs, speaking of Intel Macs, John, 
Uh, there were a couple of things announced. Let's first talk about the uh, the new IMAX. They're uh, new. They're new. Oh, boy, yeah. well, they're new. And, you know, so I noticed several things. Mm-hmm. So they look different, of course. Now, I haven't, I haven't seen the uh, uh, Steve's uh, thing on video yet. I know okay. it's available. It but, is. Um, yes. But based on my comparison of uh, the specs, which they kind of move them around now. It's not explicitly in the, uh, the banner on the top of the uh, page now. Right. I mean, I like the spotlight, or, or I'm sorry, the uh, uh, yeah, spotlight type search on the site, but I can't find this directly, but support.apple.com slash specs has yeah. specs for pretty much all their equipment. So the first thing is now we have um, different grades here, kind of. So uh, 2.8 gigahertz is now the... Uh, uh, Core to extreme is that correct? that's that's right yeah so we've at the top end we've surpassed the core two duo and gone to the the core two extreme now as far as I can tell the the only differences between the two it, the particular model of core two duo which I think is the what seventy seven hundred uh, series processor and the core two extreme is that the core two extreme can go faster so it's simply by nature of it being faster it is faster so uh-huh. that's and I. They're almost at three. They're almost. That's right. <laughs> We've seen this before. Yes, we. That's right. This is this is not unfamiliar sorry. territory. Yeah. Okay. So the other things I noticed is, uh, if you want 17 inches, sorry, 20 or 24. It yeah. Seems. Yeah. Um, all have four megabyte shared uh, level two cache. The the prior product line had a two meg on the low end. I think. That's right. Uh, front side bus eight hundred megahertz instead of six sixty seven, and that's always good to have a faster front side bus. Yep. I think there's no downside to that. Well, except unless um, you have a pile of RAM from your old iMac that you wanted to use because you can't. Hmm. Oh really? No, I, I don't didn't think so. A difference in the uh, the RAM specs. Oh really? Wouldn't the front yeah, side bus yeah. dictate that you needed faster RAM? Uh, I looked and the the it had the same chip type, so I mm. do not believe so. Okay, maybe um, not. All right. Now, speaking of RAM, the newer machines have up to four gigabytes support officially of RAM, whereas the others had up to three. Right. Okay. And that's that's um, that's due to the the updated chipset, I believe, on the motherboard. Yep. Um, not much on the hard drive space. I noticed the uh, the DVD drive now supports four X dual layer burn versus yeah. two point four X. Yeah. So nice little incremental changes. Um, the new product line is either one twenty eight or two fifty six megabytes of RAM. The old Line was 64 or 128, so the more VRAM, the better. Yep. We're now talking 802.11n instead of G. And yes. uh, this was an interesting thing. Before, they had um, FireWire 8 or 15 watts shared, depending on the model. Now they have the FireWire 7 watts per port. Just kind of a weird huh. difference there. Huh. They did a shared versus dedicated power on the FireWire. I don't know why that would make... Well, I guess it would make a difference if you have two high-powered... Well, uh, no, here, here's, well, no, here's what seven? it is. You had Eight two ports previously, huh. but the two ports were both FireWire 400. Now mm. there's one FireWire 400 and one FireWire 800, so maybe that's why they had to split it out because of the, the two huh. distinct buses. I don't know. I'm just okay. throwing it I out I thought there. the old line had 800. I don't, I, I'm pretty sure. Well, maybe it did. Yeah, you might be right. It's still a good mm. deal, you know, to go to the Apple Store. If you're looking for a 20-inch iMac, uh, Take a look at the refurb because you can get the 2.2, I think, for uh, for 10.50, I believe is the or 10.99 mm. maybe is the uh, the price of the of the refurb yep. if they're still available. So yeah, now is probably the best time because they they want to dump old inventory. Yeah, yeah. My my brother bought a uh, one one of those 20 inch refurbs 
like two days before the announcement and uh and you know when it, things heated up and it looked like there was going to be you know imax announced i shot him a note and, and he says yeah well let me know you know and so then it then it came out and uh and he said well what do you think i should do do you think i should send this one back or and we compared the specs and dollars for donuts he actually was better off doing the doing the reefer he got a faster machine than he would have you know for the same price with the the um the two gigahertz newer one. So the only difference then uh, that we haven't discussed is the, I believe the uh, glossy screen is now mandatory on all of them. Mm. And, uh, and I heard in the Apple weekly report, Brian Chaffin and Jeff Gamut were, especially Jeff Gamut was ranting about how, you know, this basically puts the iMac out of the realm of graphic designers because while the glossy screen, well, the glossy screen makes the image look great, and the colors look richer and everything, but uh, it does distort the colors, and you do not get true color uh, out of it. So if you're doing any graphic design, you really just can't use the glossy screen. Really? Yeah, and that's been a problem. Because if with anything, the, the matte screens—I mean, the matte screens have something over them that basically filters the output. Yeah, I find well, that very unusual. I mean, it definitely reflects more. All the designers. But I mean, if you're calibrated. Is yeah. It calibrated? No. It it's huh. the, the, apparently there's no way to truly do it. Maybe somebody will, will uh, chime in here and and yeah, and explain a little bit more. I can't but, imagine that they would all of a sudden just dump their well, who knows? No, it you would know aggravate that entire market. But but the thing you could do is if you don't want to buy a Mac Pro, just go ahead and buy an iMac. And it, and if you don't want to use the glossy screen, well, it's got video out. So buy buy yourself yeah. a you know a flat screen, big as you like, and and plug it in. So. Yeah, or if somebody comes out with a uh, filter, I guess, you know, overlay. Yeah, huh. yeah, yeah, I guess so, yeah. And it's a glass oh. screen now, too, which, you know, yeah. has everybody yeah. talking about it potentially being a touch screen someday, so. Huh, like an iPhone. That's right, yeah. Mm. All right, so uh, Numbers was finally announced, the uh, the, the long-awaited, oft-discussed uh, spreadsheet. And I, you know, I'm an Excel geek, and so I took some time to uh, to poke through numbers. The first thing that I noticed was, you know, wow, it it's got such a great interface. So, uh, and things are a whole lot easier to use. I pulled in some Excel spreadsheets that I use regularly just to kind of live in my own world in numbers, and uh, you know, the auto function lists are so much easier. The whole thing where you can assign sliders and steppers and pop-ups, the, the idea of um, if you've got numbers that are going to change, you can, uh, you can have a slider where when you click on the field, it, it actually creates a little slider that you can grab and drag back and forth and, and grossly change the numbers back and forth. And if you've got it attached to a pie graph or something, you know, the, the graph changes dynamically and, and you can really adjust mm -hmm. numbers. So, yeah, if you're, you know, if you're looking at, well, what would happen, you know, if uh, the price of the house that I was buying increased, you know, and you've got all these other calculations based on that, you know, what would my mortgage payment look like? What would my taxes look like? What would this look like? Et cetera, et cetera. You know, you can move this slider back and forth and really kind of see everything change in real time without having to just constantly retype numbers, you know, long strings of numbers in to change, say, from, you know, 200,000 to 500,000 to a million or whatever. Uh, little steppers. Uh, Put little arrows up and down on on the number field, and that lets you step up and down in predefined increments. And you can define the increments. You can even define minimums and maximums, and and then what the increment's going to be. And then pop-ups for text fields. If you've got, you know, three or four different uh, 
text labels that you're going to put in a series of fields, you can actually define them with this pop-up and then just choose them out of that. Um, the best part about it for me, though, is that you can have multiple independent tables on one screen. So, you know, normally the upper left-hand corner of a spreadsheet is cell A1. And nowhere else on the screen do you have another A1. In fact, if you start moving things around, it can kind of mess things up. With this, with numbers, you can actually create new tables. And each table, the upper left-hand corner of that table is its own A1. And, and you name the table, and you can actually reference it back and forth, just like you could with Excel Sheets. But here, you can actually see them all on one page and, and really lay them out. The, the layout options with this are just so much easier to use than, than Excel. So my one beef why don't we save and read Excel format natively? I don't mean import and export. I mean hmm. open and save because let's face it, the, the rest of the world runs in Excel format. Now, I, I would even be willing to, you know, if you check the box default to save as Excel or in pages default to save as Word, you, you accept that you're not going to be able to use some of these, uh, perhaps some of these layout features or whatever, but just being able to open and save documents in a way that is going to be compatible with the rest of the world, that's huge. And for Apple to be able to offer that for 80 bucks, you know, with, with your purchase of your Mac or even free, it, that, that's gargantuan. So why are we forcing people to do exports and, and making this process clunky? Let's just offer them the opportunity to, you know, limit their feature set to that which matches whatever the lowest common denominator is and get these files back and forth with Windows users or Mac users that are using Office or, or whatever. So that, mm -hmm. that's my that's my gripe with uh, with numbers pages. And I guess I could e that could even apply to Keynote with uh, with PowerPoint. Yeah. Yeah. I, <clears throat> I got it. It's it's on the disk that's sitting on the dining room table. And you haven't loaded it yet, have you? <laughs> Not yet. Right. No, I, I was helping our, our friend there. Yeah. Let me ask you, can you link numbers to FileMaker? With Excel? Oh, with numbers? Oh, 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 oh I see what you're saying. Like ODBC or something? I'm going to guess and say no. That That's an educated guess, but I don't... Okay, because I know there's an ODBC. I still think there's a system preference for ODBC, right? I know I've seen an ODBC panel somewhere. That was like in the old OS 9 days, right? With with <clears throat> Microsoft Office had some ODBC stuff. Yeah, I think it depends on... Uh, I, I think I've seen it installed on a Mac as a result of other software. But uh, Okay. No, I think it's buried somewhere. But anyways, yeah, ODBC is Open Database kind of something. Kinda, anyways, kinda, a standard way it. for data, databases to communicate with other programs. That would be neat, though, because, I mean, I know a lot of people do work on a spreadsheet that is very similar that you'd like to store away or more importantly probably draw on yep. a database to do live calculations or just more sophisticated calculations with uh yep. with real data. So and uh, I know I know FileMaker will pull from Excel uh but again that requires the whole you know with numbers you've got to if if you open an Excel spreadsheet in numbers and hit save it it saves it as though it's a new file and and puts dot numbers at the end instead of you know dot xls unless you go to file export but nowhere in the save process is there a way to tell it yeah do it as excel so okay there actually is an application i just found cuz i know you've seen this but on os 10 i'm trying to figure where it lives yeah. but odbc administrator is an active application here let's see where it lives all right application utilities okay, okay. there's a lot of interesting things in utilities so who knows if there's a way to connect the two? That'd be really nice. That though. would be great. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So 
in addition to uh, the new Macs and and uh, numbers and pages, and then the Mac Mini got bumped to a Core Two Duo, which was nice mm. to see. Uh, iDisc, there were some improvements to Dot Mac, and Baco wrote in, and uh, he he wrote that uh, there's an interesting thing about the the uh, the Dot Mac update, which increased everybody's user folder or iDisc from one gig to ten gigs. And uh, if you have your iDisc mirrored and you had it set to mirror your one gig iDisc, suddenly and magically, it, fi- it would magically take up 10 gigs on your hard drive. And, uh, and he noticed this by accident. He saw that he had this huge file that he was trying to back up with his, uh, you know, with his huh. retrospect or, or even backup three. And uh, all of a sudden, he had nine gigs less of disk space uh, because it took up this big chunk. So, if you are someone who syncs your iDisk back to your Mac, and uh, and you aren't aware of it, make sure you check because you probably are using ten gigs now, and uh, and you may want to rethink that strategy. Know. That's uh yeah. So you find that in if you go to your dot Mac system preference and then the iDisk tab, there's a iDisk syncing off, which mine is off. Because I'm afraid that would just bog things down. But, uh, you know, I'm surprised that they don't have... I thought there was something called a sparse image that... Uh, so it sounds like what they're doing is taking the most direct route. Hey, you know, it's 10 gigabyte disk. We're going to make a 10 gigabyte file. That's easy. Mm-hmm. But you would think that, you know, most people probably aren't... Well, who knows? I mean, if you do, great. But if you're not, why do you have to make the freaking image file <laughs> the maximum size that the drive could be. Again, I think it's for ease of implementation and yes. just writing the software because otherwise you'd have to deal with, you know, shuffling things about and compression perhaps and all that. So yep. maybe that's the best choice. But uh, yep. yeah, no, I guess there's a, a, a related thing um, that we actually had a tip today from our, our pal Jeff. Um, make sure you, uh, as most people know, but some may not, which is why you're listening to us. <laughs> um, your iDisk space is not all disk space. Oh, that's right. Or rather, your .Mac space is not all. Well, it can be, but if you go to your .Mac account, and I believe it's account settings, and it'll then have another tab, which I don't remember the name off the top of my head, but I think it's a disk allocation, or maybe you can help me here, Dave. Yeah. If but, you... but basically, you can tell it, use this amount of space for email, use right. the rest for my iDisk. That's right. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll get a you know more detail on that. But uh, well, yeah. But anyways, if, no, yeah if, you go sh- to, if you go to Mac.com, log in, and then in the upper right hand corner, uh, you'll see the logout, and then right next to that, you'll see your username. If you click on your username, it'll ask you to authenticate again, and then it'll bring you to your account preferences where you can edit the uh, the size of, of, of your disk allocation, or your space allocation, rather, as, as John pointed out. So if you had it set to be uh, very iDisk heavy and, and, and light on email, that, that same percentage would, would have uh, taken effect with, with the 10 gig increase. So mm-hmm. you'd still have most of that 10 gigs on your, oh, on okay. your iDisk. Here we go. Yeah, storage settings is the yeah. specific tab. And then they also, oh, I noticed this here. I think you pointed out to me this, um, uh, well, I also see a big buy more button. That's right. Of course. Flashing. But um, data transfer per month. Now, we were talking about this uh, very recently about uh, ISPs. And and from what you tell me, I I really don't pay attention to that figure because I never exceed it. Um, But I guess that's been increased. It's now 100 gigabytes. It used to be 10 gigabytes per month of uh, of transfer. And that also includes email. So, you know, bear that in mind. 
but uh, but now it's yeah been increased tenfold as well up to a hundred. So oh look at that! I just clicked on it and it showed me my monthly usage. Yep. Oh. So the nice. the good news is if you are someone who has an iPhone and likes to use uh, IMAP to consolidate all your email, well now you've got potentially a ten gig uh, email store that you could use, and you probably don't even need that much. In fact, for my IMAP implementation that I have with my Trio, which would be basically the same as, as you know what you would use with an iPhone, I think I think I've got my cap set to two gigs on our server here, but I rarely go above about five hundred megs, so. That could uh, that could work very well. Of course, the one thing that Apple servers don't support is IMAP Idle, which would let you have that push type email experience. But from what I understand, the uh, the uh, iPhone doesn't really support IMAP Idle either. It supports a very weird version of um, P IMAP, which is push IMAP uh, through Yahoo servers only. So there you have it. That's that. Uh, moving along to some widgets that were found uh we had asked you to send in your thoughts on widgets and brian did now this would be the third brian for those of you keeping score at home brian trifecta has been completed (laughs) hi guys i really love the podcast this is brian from cleveland calling and uh, you guys are talking about uh, widgets for dashboard i wanted to recommend a few you would talk about the program istat um and there's a widget actually from iSlayer called istat pro it uh, is a great little widget that lets you monitor all kinds of things on the uh, system, and it uh, is customizable and skinnable and uh, very, uh, very, very handy. A couple other widgets that I think are really uh, fun to play with and actual, actually helpful are a weather bug, which is, I think, better than Apple's weather widget because it lets you see uh, live radar and live weather cams, and um, it's uh, fun to play with. Another one I recently found that ties into iCal is called Doobie-Doo. And that's D-O-B-E-D-O. And it lets you manage and uh, add to your iCal to-do list. And fr- frankly, I used to never use my iCal to-do list until this widget, and it makes it so easy. I use them all the time now. And another iCal one that I really like is called iCal Events. I believe they're up to version 2 or 2.2. And it lets you uh, have a little um, list on your dashboard of all the things coming up that you've got in any of your iCal calendars. And it's also customizable. You can display one, two, three, or none of your, uh, or all of your iCal calendars. And you can see just the next day or the next week or the next two weeks. It's a lot of fun. Anyways, thanks a lot, guys. Hope you enjoy my tips, and I'll keep listening to the podcast. Well, that's awesome. How about, how about you, John? I know you're a widget guy. What's your, uh, what are your favorite two widgets that you're using these days? Um, I like it. Actually, the one I probably use almost every morning is Yahoo Traffic. Yahoo yeah. Live Traffic. Yeah. I mean, you don't live where I live. I mean, Fairfield County is no. nuts. <clears throat> well, depending on the direction you're going, if you're going towards New York City, forget about it. Yeah, uh, I can believe In that. the mornings. Uh, yeah, you probably don't need that. And I like a, uh, one we mentioned before, but Air Traffic Control, which shows you uh, various interesting statistics about wireless space stations surrounding you. Ah. Uh, what I like is it shows you the uh, the connection speed, which isn't always immediately available. We ranted about that, right? Yeah. Uh, in the past, then, well, the one I kind of like, uh, you know, especially as of late, is uh, the the stock one, especially if you look at the uh, Apple. There you stock. go. It's gone down a little bit. <laughs> yeah, the whole market's really. Uh, yeah, that's true. It's kind of scary right now, but yeah. hey, they're uh, yeah, they're up and they're yeah. down, and then they're down, and then they're up. Yeah. How about you? No, you're not a widgety uh, type of guy there. No, I do have uh, I do have iStat Pro installed, mm-hmm. and uh, 
And believe it or not, I also use Weatherbug occasionally, but I, I really like living in, in, you know, deep New England like I am here. Um, I, the weather forecast means nothing, especially in the summer here. You know, they say, well, <laughs> chance of thunderstorms. Like, well, okay. You know, there's a chance of th- thunderstorms every day, but, you know, what's the chance? And, and let me see what's going on. So I actually use the radar maps at Wonderground, wunderground.com. And uh, and that that's really helpful because I can see the animation I can see the, the storm systems moving and uh, watch how they, you know, I'll have this big belt of storms coming across New Hampshire. And then you'll see they'll split as they get close to the coast. And there's about a 10 mile gap in the middle of the storm. And that goes right over my house because I live on the sunny side of the street. So that's how it goes. <laughs> uh, speaking of clear skies, though, I don't know if you tried last night. Last night, we didn't have clear skies here. Uh, oh. But uh, at about nine o'clock last night, I went out. And looked for the uh, the Perseid meteor shower, mm-hmm. and I was actually able to see one at about nine o'clock, looking you know, just kind of yep. northeast. I I woke up then about two and uh, two a.m. and uh, came out and looked and saw nothing. But we had really kind of crummy cloud cover uh, by that point of the evening. Aww. But uh, tonight, it, last night was supposed to be the really big, you know, uh, intense. Yeah. Uh, you know, 80 per hour kind of meteor thing. Mm-hmm. Tonight it's supposed to be like 30 or 40 an hour, but the sky's really clear. So I, uh, I think I'll do the same thing and maybe I'll take a look as I walk back to the house from the, uh, from the studio here for the, the podcast cool. tonight. Well, better than last year. Last year there was a full moon, which, well, that's it. it. Yeah, exactly. We've got the new moon this, this, uh, this time. So it's awesome. Nice. You know, I think I'm going to check that out right now. Bye. Bye. See you. Don't get caught. Uh, <laughs> got anything else? Yeah, sure. Well, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> Uh, iPhone Alley is Michael Johnson's site. Mike, Michael will be uh, converting this show. And for those of you that wait to listen to it on AAC, as uh, as usual, I expect that'll be up by uh, tomorrow morning. So that's a beautiful thing. Podcast and New Media Expo. John and I have our flights. We are coming out. We will be there. Uh, and that will be September 28th to 30th. Next week's a Switcher show. Send in your questions. Maybe not next week. Maybe send in your questions for a Switcher show. Podcast Marketplace, A5 Desktop Speakers from Audio Engine, BB Edit from Barebones Software, one free download from Audible and Page Sender from Smile on My Mac. Backbeat Media Podcast Network. 206-666-GEEK. What about you, John? I can't get caught. <laughs> Made up. Downloaded from Cashfly.